the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And if you haven't guessed, I'm excited. I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, We're here to take your phone calls, answer your Bible questions. That's what this program is all about. Anything and everything that's on your heart, all you have to do is to provide the call. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarys.com. A.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving uh, today, the best, uh, safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands for you. will be connected directly to our studio producer. Okay, here's why I'm excited. Tomorrow is Joy of Jesus. Now, it's a big deal here at our church, and and I I trust, I I asked you all to be praying for it, uh, that the Lord would be glorified tomorrow from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. Uh, we will be out there with legions of our people wearing bright, bright, bright orange uh, T-shirts, uh, while the rest of uh, uh, the people that are there are guests, the people that we're ministering to, and it is a huge undertaking. But we're really excited. This is our 24th Joy of Jesus, and we have um, uh, done every year until the last two years because of COVID. And so now we're back, and and, uh, while we're excited and we expect it to be like the others, uh, you know, there's always that little bit of doubt. I don't know, you know, are people going to be there? Um, We're going to be there, and I know the Lord is going to be there, and he's pleased. So we're excited about what we're going to be doing tomorrow. And we invite you and the radio audience down. Just stop by and say hello. Uh, find somebody and say, well, can you take me to Pastor Ron? I'm a radio listener, and we'd love to meet you face-to-face uh, anytime from 11 to 3. Now, if you are really, really motivated and want to help, especially early in the morning or after the event uh, in setting up and then cleaning up, we would love to have your help. Uh, if you want to help set up, be there about 7 o'clock in the morning. There is so much to do. And then afterwards, you can stay as long as it takes to get the park clean. We want to leave the park, of course, in way better condition than we got it. And uh, we're really excited about it. We're, we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do tonight here at church. Rather than having a normal Bible study, I'm going to do a, a Joy of Jesus-related exhortation. Not a Bible study even or a message, just sort of instructional, but, but also, I hope, an exhortation to get everybody expecting to walk in the power of God's Spirit, to 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 expect God to show off for them and through them. Uh, it's it's going to be a neat, neat day. So if you can tell, I'm excited. I can't wait. So let's get to some questions. We'll wait your phone calls and or your email questions. I want to go back to one they did yesterday. Kim sent an email in 
to us. And uh, because I'm visually impaired, they're sometimes in a hurry on the program. I can't just open my Bible and see who wrote something. And she was asking about Psalm 106. She said, "What in what part of Jewish history was Psalm 106 written? In verse 47, it says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations. That way we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Uh, was this written after the captivity in Babylon? It wasn't written after. That much I can tell you for sure. But it is divinely inspired uh, and a historical account of Israel. Now, there's there's a couple of things here, Kim. First, this psalm goes with Psalm 105. Uh, they're sort of two ends of the same coin. Uh, where Psalm 105 ended, Psalm 106 picks up. So they, they're they're typically read together. And there's evidence in the, the Psalm 105 that it was written by David. Um, we don't know that for sure, but the evidence seems to be um, pretty solid that David was the author. Now, because we know these two Psalms go together, many um, Bible scholars, Jewish historians, attribute Psalm 106 to David as well. But the reality is we don't know for sure. And if we knew, then we would be able to pinpoint um, more accurately uh, exactly when and where this was written. But remember, Israel's history was replete with being overwhelmed by enemies. I mean, you could go back to the time of the judges um, um, through the Assyrian uh, invasion of the north, um, Judah being um, um, under the, the, the thumb of the Philistines, um, just over and over, they, they were, because of judgment, they weren't doing what God told them to do, and, and things that could have been easy and blessed were not. Uh, boy, is that a great clue for us. God told Cain, if you do what is right, will it not go well with you? Well, that's exactly what God did, Kim, with uh, his people Israel. So um, we don't know exactly when, um, we can speculate that David was the author, but that's really all all that we know. And it's broken down into sections, and it's pretty easy to detail um, what, what the context of the passages might be. Kim, thank you for that email. I'm sorry I didn't have it at the tip of my tongue yesterday, but I can't just, on the radio, I can't just open my Bible and see who wrote it. And on my computer, where I have my Bible study program, it doesn't give the author's and uh, I just didn't have the time yesterday. Thank you for your patience. Here is a hard question from Mitchell. He says, if a wife is acting ungodly and we end up separating, will God still hear my prayers? Mitchell, God wants to hear all of our prayers. However, we sin and we're unrepentant about that sin. And there is um, 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 a cutoff of all access to God. Uh, if we're walking in, living in unrepentant sin. Now, you're saying if a wife is acting ungodly. Um, God will hear your prayers as long as you're not acting ungodly. Um, but separating, um, you know, if if it's her idea and, and uh, you're the victim in a marriage, well, of course God will hear your prayers. But here's what I find to be true, Mitchell. Um, I find that normally when people come to me for marriage counseling, um, there's a sin on both sides. And I want to repeat, if we have active, unrepentant sin, then God can't hear our prayers. Paul even talks about um, our, our prayers can be hindered if we go to bed angry. Uh, our prayers can be hindered if a man and, a, and his wife are not walking together uh, in the fullness of God. So here's what you really need to do, Mitchell. You need to make sure that that uh, the separation, uh, if that's what happens, wasn't your fault. You need to take responsibility for your role in terms of your wife's behavior. Now, remember, God deals with her about her behavior. But we have to remember that as men, we are responsible to be the leaders of our household. And often, Mitchell, I've found that a wife who isn't being obedient, a wife who isn't uh, in love with her husband, a wife who begins behaving in an ungodly fashion, often those wives simply didn't have a godly example for leadership. I've quoted many times the movie um, Remember the Titans. 
leadership has responsibilities. Attitude, he said, is a reflection of leadership, and our wives, for better or for worse, are a reflection of our leadership. So the first place to look, Mitchell, is deep in your own heart. What is your role? What is your responsibility in her behavior? What kind of example have you been setting? Are you demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit at home in your wife and in, in, in the life you have together as husband and wife? Are you, is your life characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? Or when she acts ungodly, does that push your buttons and then you respond in kind? And let me say this, Mitchell, and this is to everybody out there. You know, we say, well, it's not my fault. Remember that we're only accountable to God for what we're supposed to do. And especially as men, being the spiritual heads of our household, if we're inconsistent, if we're not being patient, if we're not being kind, then the reality is we have no right to expect that our wives are going to do anything other than follow our example of being none of those things. We have a tendency to think that we're free to respond if somebody is unkind to us. Well, they they said it first or they did it first, so this is why I'm acting this way. We have no right. Jesus died for our sins. He's the one who gave us his spirit. He's the one who, who gives us the ability to overcome these temptations in life. And we can't allow the behavior of our spouse nor anybody else in the world for that matter, we can't allow the behavior of our spouse to be used as a rationalization or a a justification for us misbehaving before the Lord. When we are cursed, we're told to bless. And too often that's just difficult, Mitchell. So all I can tell you is you need to start right in your own heart. Say, Lord, you know everything about me. You know what I'm thinking. You know my motives before I even think about them. So here's, Lord, access to my heart. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine your heart daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. It won't be able, we won't be able, Mitchell, to go stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and say, well, well, she made me do it. Or wives, you won't be able to say, well, he made me do it. He did this or he did that. Jesus will look at you and will melt. And when I say will melt, we'll know that we have no excuse for ungodly behavior, period. One more comment on that question. I get a lot of flack for the things I say teaching or even on this radio program. Mostly when I'm teaching, though, because I'll tell people in our church, now, they know me. Uh, most of them love me. But but I'm really direct with them. There's no excuse ever to raise your voice in anger towards your spouse. Not ever. Paula always says when we're in counseling, well, you picked him. But there's never. And people say, well, we're humans and we can't help but to argue. Yes, you can. That's what the Spirit of God was given to you for. And for a husband or wife to say unkind things, to say carnal, fleshy things, and expect that God understands when we've been given the ability to overcome our flesh, there's never an excuse for being in our flesh. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Richard. He says, do you think women ought to wear head coverings in church? Only if they want to, Richard. Only if they want to. Um... Um, typically, yeah, the, the, you're, you're referring to Corinthians. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Remember, it was a carnal, out-of-control church. Uh, and culturally, head coverings were a sign of being submitted to your husband's authority. And these women who were Christians, hearing about the freedom they have in Christ, suddenly they were taking off their head coverings and coming out from under the authority of their husbands, and Paul is pointing that out as being out of order in the church. That's the reason we ought to do that, or or they had to do that. This isn't um, like Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter two. This isn't a once for always rule for the church. This was a local cultural circumstance, um, and sadly, a lot of people have taken that, um, and we've 
made it legalistic, saying you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, women can wear head coverings if they want. If they don't want, which certainly is the case in, in the West and, and here in, in Texas, um, we don't have to. Wear a ball cap if you want, wear a scarf, or just come in your beautiful hair. It doesn't make any difference at all. But no, Richard, women ought not to wear head coverings in the church unless they want to. They're free to, but they're also free not to. Rex asks, from Genesis chapter 4, Pastor Ron, what was the mark of Cain? Um, Rex, um, we don't know exactly what the mark of Cain was. Was it a big X on his forehead or, or not? All we know is that God marked him, and that meant nobody could kill him. Remember, Cain complained about, my punishment is more than I can bear. When I go here, when I go there, people will, will, will seek my life. God says, don't worry, I've got a mark. I've got a plan. And while you're being punished for your sin... The reality is that nobody's going to be able to hurt you. I've got you, Cain. Now, I'm not talking about God has him in terms of blessing, but but Cain was going to fulfill his destiny, and God protected him from the other people. Again, whatever the mark was, we don't know. I imagine, Rex, that uh, whatever that mark was, it was clear to everybody that hands were to be off Cain. Thank you for that question. Here is a question from Delia. She says, I know a lot of churches emphasize the Holy Spirit even more than Jesus. Is that okay? Um, It's not okay, and and let me explain why. Now, remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are complete equals. They have different roles, um, but they're they're absolute equals. They're all fully God. They're all... Um, um, omnipotent, they're they're omniscient. Um, there's there's no distinction between them. It's not like the fathers, the head God, and 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 Jesus and the Holy Spirit are junior partners. Um, so um, th- there's no jealousy or envy between them at all regarding who gets emphasized. The idea is that we emphasize um, the Lord now. Here's, under, here's what's important to understand. Jesus was sent to reveal the Father. That's why he says, when you, when you pray, say, in my name. Um, Jesus was sent to reveal the Father. We could not approach the Father. He lives in unapproachable light, except through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is also God the Son. So that was Jesus' job. And when Jesus was here, he revealed the person of the Father. He was the exact image, a duplicate of the Father. Jesus simply took on incarnation. God the Father, of course, we're told in the Gospel of John, is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the Father didn't have hands, he didn't have eyes, he didn't have nostrils. Uh, the, the Bible uses those terms symbolically, but, but God's a spirit. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, when I go... I will send another just like me, another comforter, another counselor. The Greek word alos there means of exactly the same substance, but different. And that's the Holy Spirit. And his job, according to Jesus, was to testify of Jesus. So as as Jesus pointed to the Father and revealed the Father, the Holy Spirit's only purpose is to reveal the Son. And when you're in a church... Uh, Delia, that is um, um, sort of overly the, over the top charismatic. Uh, you'll see a lot of Holy Spirit comes and songs that you sing for uh, verse after verse after verse after verse about fill me with your presence. All of those songs make no sense because the reality is, as born again believers, we are filled already with the Spirit, and all we have to do to empower the Holy Spirit in and through our lives is to be obedient. That's all we have to do. And uh, too often we focus on the Holy Spirit in the sense that um, um, Jesus come, entered this place, again we sing those songs, and he's already here. Um, Most of the time churches that emphasize the Holy Spirit are peddling miracles. Uh, They have a, a misunderstanding of who God is. Typically they are uh, light on the teaching of the Bible, 
And I think, Delia, that that causes some problems. So uh, the Holy Spirit, if he were here, and we spent a whole, unless we're teaching the Bible about the Holy Spirit, if we spend a whole bunch of time begging him to come, pouring out his power on us, if we if we neglected Jesus, if we neglected the Father, because what we want is the power of the Holy Spirit, well, then the reality is that we don't know who he is. The Holy Spirit would actually be embarrassed by that. Remember, if you're really in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then he's going to point you to Jesus. And then what I always say on this program, just be with Jesus, will be the result. That's what... Jesus himself said, when he comes, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will never speak of himself. He will never seek attention. Instead, all of his attention, his focus, will be pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is in these last days. So, Delia, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions on this Friday program. Here is a question, a sad question from Abel. He says, I lost my son to a drug overdose and I was angry at God. I walked away because of it. Why did God do this? Abel, first let me say my heart breaks for your loss. Um, Over the years I've dealt with a lot of people and exactly the same thing. Um, but God didn't do this. God didn't do this. I don't know what your soteriology is. Um, I don't know what your picture of, of God is like uh, or what you've been taught at the church that you go to, Abel. But God didn't do this. It happened. We live in a fallen world and things like this happen. Your son took drugs. He shouldn't have been taking drugs. God's heart was broken. God's heart was broken at his sin, but God's heart was broken even more that he died of a drug overdose. And and for you to think that God did this, no wonder you're in such pain. So here's my counsel to you, Abel. Walk back to God. Tell him you're sorry for blaming him for the actions of your son. You're sorry for blaming him for your pain. Because right now, the thing that God wants more than anything else is for you to be able to be comforted by his presence. By his presence. A peace that passes understanding. But Abel, whenever we're angry at God, we're always wrong. Now, God's a big, big God. He can take it. But the problem is, when you need his fellowship, when you need his comfort the most... You're shutting him out. And every time I've had a question like this, either on the show or in person, my first response is, why are you blaming God? And usually it boils down to, well, well, he could have stopped, stopped my son from dying. He could have, but there are consequences in this fallen world to the choices that we make. So please, please, please understand that God didn't do this. Read Psalm 51. That was David's response after the death of his son. And David accepted the responsibility for it. But as Christians, we've got to stop this horrible theology that says if we're walking with Jesus, then everything will be fine. We won't have any pain. We won't have any heartbreak. Abel, I've got three people in the church right now who have lost immediate family members to cancer, other diseases. And all we can do is grieve with them. We all know people who were lost to covid God didn't do that. It wasn't God's fault that COVID came. These are the consequences of living in a world that's in rebellion against God. So connect with him again. Come back to Jesus. And let him be the source of comfort that he wants to be. He alone understands your pain. 340-9585 
God the Father lost his son, Abel, for you. And he considered that you were worth it, but he understands your pain. But unless you come back to him, you can't benefit from his empathy, from his compassion, and from his own heartbreak. I'll tell you a quick story. We've got about a minute left in this side of the program. Uh, I had a dear friend whose son committed suicide, a pastor. And he went through this angry at God, and, and, and just his heart got so hard. That's what anger does to you. And one day he was at the cemetery. He went every day. And sitting there and crying, he said, from a depth that he didn't know he even had. And this was after about a year of, after his son was, 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 uh, had died. And he said he just knew at that moment that Jesus was right there with him and figuratively speaking had his arm around him. And he was crying from a depth of pain that was infinitely greater even than my friend's was. It was at that moment he knew he was going to be okay because somebody understood Hey, thank you for the question, Abel. I'm sorry. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand in for life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our friday program this is officially now joy of jesus friday remember please 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 be in prayer for us as we go out to travis park tomorrow at four at 11 o'clock to three o'clock uh, here at um, in San Antonio, downtown San Antonio. And we'd love to see if you want to stop by and say hello and get your mind blown by all of the stuff that God is going to do down there. Always a neat, neat thing, but we want to be sure that our, our, our day is bathed in prayer. Uh, I'm going to share tonight with our church, you know, where we will, we will encounter demon-possessed people. Uh, we will encounter people that want nothing to do with us or Jesus. They'll take our stuff, but... Um, you know, and, and we're there to be kind. We're there to love on them and, and to point them to Jesus. They have to make the choice themselves to do it. And not all of the people that we're going to be ministering to, of course, are going to be homeless. You know, it's it's the focus because there are so many that will be there. Um, but but Travis Park is located in a in a section of downtown. There will be people that are there vacationing or or uh, tourists. There will be businessmen and women who are there. Families will be there. Uh, is always a really really crowded place. People just traveling through, making connections. Uh, people who live in the or who are staying in the surrounding hotels. So lots of people come over just to see what's going on, and they're going to hear about Jesus, and that's always a good thing. Let's get back to some questions uh, while we await any phone calls. Phones have been quiet for the first half hour of the program. Here is an anonymous question. Why does it matter so much to Christians if a woman thinks she's a man or vice versa? Don't you think it would be better just to let them live happily? Anonymous, you have ceased to think logically or reasonably or even practically Is it possible to be happy when you're trying to rebel against God? You know, when people are living in sin, they're in rebellion against God, their lives aren't happy no matter what they say. I don't know why it is in this world that we live in, to people like you, Anonymous, that truth doesn't matter anymore. There are some things that are unchangeable, and our gender is one of those things. Not only does our gender never change, whatever gender you were born to be, that's what you are. Your chromosomes, your DNA approves it, and that doesn't change no matter what drugs you take or what surgeries you might have. But this is probably one of the easiest questions in the world to find the answer to. 
I mean, it's so obvious. This doesn't take a lifelong journey. All you got to do is look in a mirror and, and, well, that's who I am. And here's the problem. Two things are going on here. One, I said they were in rebellion against God. We are made in the image of God. And this whole lie that comes from the pit of hell, this whole lie, Anonymous, is a rejection of God's sovereignty, a rejection of God's uh, creative genius. This is a, a rejection of of um, a God. That we're basically saying you don't know what you were doing. I realize that we have many people who aren't satisfied with their lives, and they're always looking for something. Something that's new, something that's different, hoping that that's going to be the thing that fixes their problem. The problem is these people's problems don't get fixed. They just get more and more entrenched in their sin. And and by doing that, they're giving Satan the opportunity to destroy them, which is what he wants to do. That's sort of his job. And as Christians who proclaim to love people because Jesus loves them, It becomes our responsibility to tell them the truth. To tell them the truth in love. Not pointing fingers, not looking at them like they're broken or defective. But simply to say, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. And there's only one source. And to come to Jesus, you have to come to him on his terms. He made you a man or he made you a woman. And to defy that purpose in your life is to completely reject a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. Again, I, I don't understand why this is controversial. I, I realize the the brainwashing that's going on. I'm aware, fully aware of uh, social media's impact in people's lives, especially young girls, junior high and high school age girls. Um, they're 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 being persuaded, brainwashed, really, to believe that they're in the wrong bodies, and the answer to all their problems is going to be a change. What do you do with those people when they're later wanting to kill themselves because their problems didn't go away, and in fact, their problems got worse? They didn't find themselves. They didn't find. The pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We are going to experience... Now, I'm old, so probably I won't experience it as much as many of you. But imagine 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now. Sounds like a long time, but it goes by quick. So, quick, so, so uh, believe me, it goes fast. We're going to see lives at such a broken level of desperation that nobody's going to know what to do. And you know, all of the psychological professionals, the medical professionals who said, well, you know, there are extra genders and you can be what you want and just pursue happiness. Not one of them is going to say, I'm sorry. I should have used the, the, the forum that God gave me to tell you don't do this. We have teenage girls, young girls who are taking male hormones, testosterone, growing beards, having their breasts removed. When that girl is 20, 21, 22, what are you going to say to her? She's already mutilated. What do you say to her when she realizes she was wrong? Anonymous, that's why it matters to Christians. You have to be willfully blind not to see the disaster that we're creating in this world over this issue of transgenderism. I mean, this is unlike same-sex attraction. It's sin. But, but we understand we live in a fallen world. And there are people that are attracted to people of the same sex. And we realize that we're asking them to make a significant sacrifice, to live a celibate life, to be in the will of God. I I get that. But what are we going to say to these young men who think they're women and young women who think they're men? 
when their lives are absolutely destroyed and their bodies are beyond recovery. And that's just around the corner. It matters a great deal. Let me tell you another reason it matters. We've got a lot of parents of some of these kids. Kids that were raised in church. Parents who love Jesus. Whose hearts are absolutely devastated because of the choices these kids are making. And the pressure that even Christian parents are getting to conform, being accused of being cruel monsters if we don't accept them for who they think they are. When did we ever give a kid the opportunity to make choices that will change the rest of their lives? That's what parents are for. How are we ever going to explain this to those children? We shouldn't have stopped you, but we didn't. This is a horrible, horrible situation and it's not going to be any better. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, I'm Cindy. Curious, I'm curious about something, and it's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, the part I'm focusing in on is it explained to me about dividing the soul and the spirit, and then I'm going to put my radio back on and and get off the phone and listen to your answer. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. God bless you. Um, You know, this this is a, a Bible verse that everyone was ought to take deeply into our heart. Uh, and I'm gonna. I'll, I'll focus on what Cindy asked in a moment, but but let's look at it a little bit. It's living and active. If it's really the word of God and God lives outside of time and space, then what living and active means is that it meets us where we are. We can open our Bibles and we can just be doing reading. It can be something you're reading that that you've read a hundred times before. But if God wants to speak to your heart, He'll make that verse jump off the page at you. And speak to your heart in such a powerful way that you'll know that it's Him. It's living. It's active. It's 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 supernatural and it's alive. One of the things that always causes me a lot of pain, especially when doing marriage counseling, is is I'll say to the husband or the wife, "Okay, tell me, are you guys reading the Word together?" Now I'm asking a question I already know the answer to. The answer is no, they're not, because if they were, they wouldn't be in my office. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to negotiate some common ground so that you give a little, you take a little. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is losing everything for the person of Jesus Christ. And I tell people, look, just get in the Word together. And, and, and you know, Paula reads out loud to me because I, I can't see. So Paula reads out loud to me. And and I've learned that that in that reading out loud, I can tell a lot about her voice. I can tell from inflection. Um, I can stop her and say, "Well, you know, the, the Lord's speaking in my heart about this. Let's talk about this for a moment." But but God will do a supernatural work in the life of a believer if, in fact, we'll simply take Him at His word. And His living, active Word is part of that. Now. When it says penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, that's simply a way of saying um, dividing between what is flesh and what is spirit. The soul there, it's more soulish, is the word. You know, there are times when as Christians we we convince ourselves that, that God wants what we want. You know, uh, in the, the example I gave a moment ago of a marriage, um, a husband and a wife, you know, they've got their own ideas. Uh, it's her fault or it's his fault. And you're reading in the Word, and, and that, that living, active Word will, I, I like to say it this way, will slice and dice. And and instantly, it'll convict you of sin. You'll know that that was my flesh. And then it will lead you into that place where you can walk in the Spirit. And that's what it is. And then it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, Cindy, Um that's motive. And I say all the time, Cindy comes to our church, so she's heard me say this a million times. 
Uh, motive is everything when you pray. And that's why the Word of God matters so much. We've got to be in the Word, or this world is going to convince us that the world that we live in is right. Our flesh is going to seize on that opportunity to do what we want instead of what God wants. And if you're in the Word, and I mean, you're, 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 you're in the Word with consistency, you won't be able to, to do that. Your flesh will be convicted in the genuine believer in Christ, not the person who just says, I know Jesus, but the genuine believer in Christ is going to be convicted. And, and when the Holy Spirit convicts you, we can turn to God, we can turn in repentance, and instantly our sins are forgiven, and we have instant access to God again, and we're walking in the Spirit. So that's what that means, Cindy, and it's something that all too often people won't believe um, they want a, a, a more worldly explanation of how we're going to solve our problems. And the way we solve all of our problems is just to die. I say, when we're, we're counseling to people, I say, look, Paul and I have agreed. Paul and I are fleshy like everybody else. But, but she and I have agreed. She is the best partner in the world. And she and I have agreed to agree with Jesus. And all we need to do is have his Bible to know what he wants us to do. And then the heart that's really committed to him will say, okay, what I want isn't important. What she wants isn't important. What's really important is that we agree to do together what God wants us to do. And that's what the word will accomplish if we give it the chance. Thank you, Cindy. Benjamin says, why do some churches focus on politics and others do not? They just want to make the world better. Now, that last sentence, Benjamin, I'm, 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 I'm guessing that you're coming down on the side of churches that focus on politics. That's the kind of church that you want to go to. Here's the problem. When you go to a church that focuses on politics, they're teaching you to fall in love with the wrong kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. If it was, um, the people would have fallen down and worshipped him. But, but his kingdom... It's a heavenly kingdom, and so too is ours. And the problem with politics is we focus on politics as though the politicians that we support are somehow going to make this world a better place. And Benjamin, you have lived, I mean, if you're old enough to be concerned about this stuff, you've lived during a Republican administration and a Democratic administration, and guess what? The world is just as messed up on either side. Now we've got different problems, to be sure. And let me let me make this clear. I have political opinions. I really do. I'm a conservative person. Um, however, the problems that we had when Donald Trump was president, people hating one another, people dividing, people being mean and unkind, even Christians, Benjamin, even Christians dividing and saying horrible things about one another on social media. In fact, totally embarrassing our Lord in the process. Why do we think that was better? The administration that we have now, things are falling apart. And yeah, prices may go down with a different administration. But we have a whole new set of problems. That's why in church, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I have some pretty good friends, Benjamin, who went all in on politics in the last election. I mean, all in. And the problem was when they came back after the election, the Sunday after the election, um, there was no air in the place. They were so disappointed and heartbroken and despairing um, because they've been told that that Trump was God's choice and, and we've got to stand for godliness. Donald Trump didn't, didn't represent Jesus Christ for one minute of one day in office. Now, he said the words, but you saw how he behaved. And suddenly we've got churches filled with people who are despairing and are losing hope. So now as... Elections roll around again, and the same hyperbole is used. Most important election of our lifetime, I've heard that a half dozen times already. Um, 
What are we going to do when we wake up on the day after election and the world hasn't changed? We're still not equipped to live in this world. So Benjamin, the Word of God is what church is for, to teach the Word, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the way to make the world better is to give people the opportunity to first come to Jesus and secondly to know Him well enough to be like Him. And because I say just be with Jesus a lot, here's what I can promise you. Every day in your life will be better than the previous one, no matter what's going on in your life, if you're hanging out with Jesus. Talking about politics does nothing to make you more Christ-like. And that's our job in the church. We have forgotten what our job is. We've lost the fear of God. And I think worst of all, I hate false hope. I think false hope is worse than no hope at all. So many Christians have the false hope that the result of an election is going to solve all of their problems and the world will be a happy place again. It's simply not going to happen. We have rejected Jesus Christ and so much of the church has rejected Jesus Christ. Let me say one other thing here, Benjamin, and I know this firsthand. This is the first-hand account from another of my friends. Why do churches, some of them, really go full hog into politics? Money. I've got a friend whose church has exploded. They can't keep the people that are coming. They can't keep them inside. And as a result, money is pouring in like never before. And the amount of money that is, is pouring in is obscene. And that's money that ought not to be going to promote candidates. That's money that ought to be going for the work of ministry that Jesus has called churches to. So that's really, really important. So Benjamin, I hope that's your answer. If your focus is on politics, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. We're inside five minutes now, so let me see. Here's a question from... Tommy, he says, my question is about Christians who support gay marriage and gay relationships. How can they do that? Well, Tommy, I'm going to, I'm going to make a general statement, but I think it's generally true. Uh, those aren't real Christians. You can't be a real Christian and deny what Jesus himself said to do. Period. You can't contradict the Word of God. You can't live a life that is in opposition to the Word of God. And then say, yeah, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And here's the problem. You said, how, how do they do that? It's because they, they, they trash the word of God. They no longer spend time in the word of God. They're being inundated by social media and, and, and all of the influences around them in the world. And the truth is, Tommy, they've been brainwashed Live and let live, you know, love, love, love. What can be wrong with love? People who live like they're describing in same-sex relationships will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's that simple. And that means we're not loving them at all. We're not loving them at all. I think so often people like this, Tommy, instead of really genuinely loving people. The reason they take positions like this is because they want to be loved by people. They want people to accept them. They want people to think that they're sort of big tent Christians and we've got room for everybody to come in. Jesus is the one who drew the parameters. The road to salvation is narrow and few find it. And so our job is to tell them the truth. So, Tommy, hope that answers your question. My final question for today's program is from Larry. He said, do you think some Christians worship the Bible? Um, no, we worship the God of the Bible. But we don't worship the Bible. That's silly. And, Larry, I think you probably know that to be true. Here's the thing that we've got to understand. This is the living, active Word of God. That's what Cindy's question was about. And you can't know the God of the Bible unless you're follower of the Word of God, because the world around you is going to lead you to someone who isn't God at all. We'll try to reinvent Jesus. We'll try to make him over in our image instead of remembering that we were created in his image. 
So here's what we, we do. We find out who God is. There's only one place to do that. That's the Word of God. We have no right to change it. We have no right to change Him. We have to accept Him on His terms. And Larry, when especially liberal Christians or or they call themselves progressive Christians now, it's not really progressive at all, or or overly charismatic Christians, well, well, we just believe this. And, well, the Bible tells us how to behave. The Bible tells us what to believe because it reveals the true person of Jesus Christ. And so, no, we don't worship the Bible, but we are so grateful to God that he's given us his word so that we don't need to be duped by the enemy of our souls, by a lying spirit that's been set loose in this world about who Jesus really is. We don't have to guess. So we worship Jesus Christ. The Bible simply lets us know who Jesus is. And we've got to hold on to that because, frankly, Larry, there's no way to really know who he is from any other source. And then when you know who he really is and you can experience him, walk with him every day, I can tell you life gets sweet. And that leads to worshiping God. Thanks for the question. Hey, remember, keep us in prayer. Um, uh, Joy of Jesus tomorrow from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. We'd love to see you out there. Just say hi and um, just look at what the Lord is going to do. Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tonight I'm going to be giving a short exhortation on our Joy of Jesus ministry tomorrow. Um, And then we'll be here on Sunday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.